Amen. Well, if I get excited, I'm going to break out and start playing the drums today, so just be ready. Just get ready. Well, First Thessalonians chapter 5, thankful, a hard assignment. A number of years ago, the Kentucky Wildcats were playing Asbury in basketball, and the score at one point in the game was 135 to 35. And you guess who was 135? Well, it was the Wildcats. And so for a while, a 100-point difference, I felt bad for Asbury, so I thought, sure, they could score more points than that. And then finally, after the game was over, they interviewed their coach and a few of the players, and, and they weren't disappointed at all. They said, this has been a great night for us. So my feelings of being sorry for them got over it pretty quick because they said, we're so thankful to even be here. We get to play on the SEC network. Uh, we get to play in one of the greatest environments of college basketball, but also, we walk away with a pretty good-sized check from playing tonight, so we're thankful. It's all good. And I thought, there's a basketball team who knew how to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. As we think about this message from First Thessalonians chapter 5, let me give you these words about the Christian life. The Christian life is an abundant life. That's what Jesus promised. He said in John chapter 10, verse 10, yeah, I shall come to you have life, and you're going to have life more abundantly. It's abundant life for us who follow Christ. Christian life's an incredible journey because we're not just following anyone. We're following the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, who gave his life on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. He has called us to pick up our crosses daily and to come and follow him. That is an incredible journey. Christian life is also a hard assignment. Because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for us in reference to the will of God. Many of us say, what is the will of God for, for my life? And I'm going to give you three aspects to that today about the will of God for your life. But here's what Paul said. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Folks, that's not an easy assignment. There are certain verses in God's Word that are very easy to quote, but just not as easy to live out. For example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say to his followers? He says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. How many of us today say it's easy to love our enemies? How many of us would say it's easy for us to pray for those who persecute us? But that's the words of Jesus for you and me. Paul, in, in the letter to Philippians, what does he write there in chapter 2, verse 14? He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. That's a difficult verse for us. For Baptists, it's hard for us to do that. To do everything without grumbling or complaining. It's easy to quote, but how do you live that verse out? And then Paul comes to a group of believers at Thessalonica. And he says to them, here's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, and it's threefold. I want you to rejoice always. I want you to pray without ceasing. And I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. It's not easy. It's a hard assignment. As you and I think about Thanksgiving as we just came through that, it's more than a holiday. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, Thanksgiving is a lifestyle for you and me. Every day you and I wake up should be Thanksgiving Day for us. 
because God has been so, so good to us. He's blessed us with life, the ability to do what we do. Every day should be a thanksgiving day for you and me. And as you think about the life of the Apostle Paul again, in prison, not in a penthouse somewhere, but in prison, he's thankful for Almighty God. He's thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ who've partnered with him in gospel ministry. Paul lived a thankful life. And so I want to challenge you, just like we talked about last week with the ten lepers, be the one who is willing to give thanksgiving back to the Lord. I want to encourage you to look at God's Word and find yourself in a place in life to say, God, I'm rejoicing always, I'm praying without ceasing, and I'm giving thanks in all circumstances because I know this is your will for my life. A hard assignment. I want you to take your teaching outline and, and I'm going to do something today that's a little bit different. I want to just walk through these verses, but also I want to be very practical with you and give you some steps how you can do these. This is God's will for us in life. So how do we do this in the Christian life? And I want you to follow along. Here are three aspects to God's will that relate to all of us in this room and those who are watching. Number one, learn how to praise, not whine. Rejoice always. Let me ask you, do you know how to praise God in life? Do you know how to do that? Because when he says here, rejoice always, it's a context of worship. And as you and I think about worship, here's some understanding of worship. Worship is more than an hour. Yeah, we get together on Sunday mornings at 1030. We worship the Lord together in song and sermon and other ways that we worship him. So we get to do that. But it's much more than just an hour together on Sunday mornings. Worship is more than a style. Whether we're talking about the style of music or the style of the sermon, worship is much more than that. Worship is also more than a building. Thank the Lord that we get together in this building and worship Him together. But worship is more than what happens in this building. Worship is a lifestyle for you and me who name the name of Jesus. And so do you know how to praise Him in your life? Here's what I found also in life. It's easy to whine. I mean, traffic is so slow. Why can't these people drive? Where did they get their license from? You're in a restaurant or a store. The service is awful in this place. Who trained you anyway? Who did not train you, by the way? And then you start looking at life and you think, I never get any breaks in life. Everyone else seems to get breaks, not me. And God just seems so unconcerned and unfair in my life. It's easy to whine in life. But how do we get to the point where Paul is saying to these believers, and it relates to you and me, rejoice always. How do we praise him and not whine? I want to give you some insights here, very practical things that will help you carry out this verse. How do I rejoice always? Not just when things are going well, but when things are not going so well. How do I do that? I want to give you these. Number one, see God. If you and I are going to rejoice always, we've got to be able to fix our eyes on the Lord. Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20, a very intense time in his life, his leadership, and he comes before God very transparently, and here's what he says. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I suspect there are people in this room and there who are watching 
When you look at your individual life right now and the command is to rejoice always, you look at your individual life and there are some things you simply don't know what to do, but somewhere you've got to be able to say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Uh, there are some marriages here today that just some things just aren't going well. And so you have to look at your marriage and say, God, honestly, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There are families here coming out of Thanksgiving, dealing with some issues you didn't even dream were there, but now you look at it and you say, God, as a family, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And church, there are going to be times for us as a church that we just have to be honest enough and say, God, as a church, we don't know what to do in this situation, but our eyes are upon you. And so when we see God, it puts us in a position that we can rejoice always. If you're going to praise and not whine, see him. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Number two, believe truth. As you and I think about this command to rejoice always, we have to believe truth. Romans chapter 8, what an incredible word from the Apostle Paul. One of the great chapters, theological chapters you're going to see in God's word. He talks about there in Romans 8, just about... Uh, God, we know that all things, those who love God work together for those who love him. They're called according to his purpose. And then we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So if you're going to rejoice always, you've got to believe truth. Because here's what I know. You're going to be faced with a lot of lies in life. And so you've got to believe truth. What do we know is truth? I want you to understand these next statements I'm going to make because they relate to your life and to my life. Here's what's true. God saved us in Jesus Christ. We didn't save ourselves. Christ did that. God loves you and me just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way, so he's changing our lives. Almighty God cares about every single person in this room and watching. We know this, that God takes the circumstances of our lives, those who love him, and he uses it for our good. God does that. God also assures us, those who are believers, that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. You're, you're never going to spend eternity separated from me. You'll never be lost from me. You'll be in heaven all the days of your life. And then he promises us that in heaven we're going to see the very face of the one who gave his life for us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe those truths, we should be able to rejoice always when we understand the truth of God's word. Not lies, but truth. And so if you're going to rejoice always, you've got to see God, but also you've got to believe truth. God hears truth. Your word is true. From Genesis to Revelation, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, God, your word is true. I'm believing truth. Number three, value relationships. That's why the local church matters. That's why the local fellowship of believers is important. God did not create any of us for isolation, to live on our own. No one here is called to fly solo. God has called us and put us a part of the church so that we can relate with one another. And we're going to rejoice always. I need trusted people in my life to be able to do that. I need to have people in my life to say, I just need you to pray for me. I need wisdom about this situation. Do you see that I'm handling this the way God would want me to? I just need those valuable relationships in my life. And so when you see God, when you believe truth and you value relationships, you're putting yourself in a position to rejoice always. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's convenient. Doesn't mean it's comfortable. But you're in a position to rejoice always. 
And then number four, remember blessings. You and I, if we're not careful, we live life with short memories. And somewhere we need to be willing to come before God and say, God, you have blessed me so, so much. Maybe you take out an electronic device, pen, piece of paper, and you start writing these down because you don't ever want to forget how good God has been to you in your life, your marriage, your family, to this church. And so let me ask you, in your life, how can you recount the goodness of God in your life? And First Baptist Church, as we look back over the last year and even over the last decades of this church, can you look back and say, God, there is no question. You have blessed this church again and again and again. And we're going to rejoice always. We need to remember your blessings to us individually but also as a church. So when you look at your life today, kids, students, adults, Is it easier for you to praise the Lord or is it easier for you to whine about life? Paul said here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, rejoice always. So you and I need to learn to praise, to worship him, to rejoice and not whine about what life and what we don't have in life. Praise him, don't whine. Number two, learn to pray, not worry. It's a big assignment. He says, pray without ceasing. As I think about that challenge, I think about prayer is hard work. If anybody tells you that prayer is not hard work, they're not being transparent with you. We talked about Epaphras a few weeks ago, and Paul said he's constantly praying to God for you. He's working hard for you. Prayer is hard work. We know this, that Almighty God is approachable. You can approach him 24-7 in your life. And we know this, that faithful believers in Jesus Christ know how to pray. And they, they say, Lord, teach us to pray, but we want to be faithful people who pray. Now I want to ask you a series of questions for you just to evaluate your personal prayer life. Paul said, rejoice always, then pray without ceasing. And before I ask you those questions, understand prayer is a conversation with God. God is faithful. He is holy. He's approachable. God listens when you and I pray, but he also speaks into our lives. And so as you and I pray, we know who he is, that he is faithful. He's also forgiving. So as you and I pray, we're having a conversation with a holy, faithful, forgiving father. Here are the questions. How is your prayer life? And then I'll ask you, do you find yourself praying generally as a last resort in life? You've tried everything else that didn't work, so it's going to resort to praying. Maybe that'll make a difference. Do you find yourself praying only in a crisis? Do you find yourself praying really when your back is against the wall and you don't know what else to do? There's no way out. You're going to pray and maybe God will make a way in that wall for you to escape. And then I want to ask you, how many of us in this room and watching How many of us can honestly say in life, I pray without ceasing? What does that mean? You're just in a spirit of prayer. Doesn't mean you're just always going around praying, never doing anything else, but you're just ready to have a conversation with God. I'm in a spirit of prayer. Doesn't mean long prayers could be just two or three words, God, I need help. But you just are in this constant season. You're rejoicing always. You're praying without ceasing. Now, as I think about that, let me give you some thoughts here for a second, not on the outline. But as I think about my life, but also serving the Lord Jesus as your pastor, what am I praying about without ceasing? 
meaning these are constantly on my mind and my heart. When I'm having a conversation with God, I'm talking to him about these. What are some of those things? Let me just give some to you. One is non-believers. Church, I want to see people come to Christ in life. I want to see people who are separated from him, and if they died today, they'd spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. I want to see them come to Christ, repent of their sins, and experience new abundant life in Jesus. Our church this year, a goal is to baptize at least 101 new believers in Christ. That doesn't happen without praying, without ceasing. And so as I think about that goal, we're, this morning we're at 84 new believers this year. And again, we're not trying to push people, manipulate people. We just want to see the Spirit move in the lives of people. So what do we pray without ceasing? We're praying for non-believers to hear the gospel, come under conviction of the Holy Spirit, and see Jesus change their lives. Then we celebrate the life change in Christ. Pray without ceasing for those who are not yet believers. Second thing I find myself praying about, revival. How many of us in this room and watching need for God to revive us in our walk with him? The joy is just not where it used to be. There's some coolness in our walk with him. We're just not as intimate, close with him as we once were. We need revival. I want to experience revival in my own life. There are marriages that need revival, families that need revival. Even the church needs revival. How many of us are praying that God would revive us again and that we would be in love with him and passionate for him and be used of him? We pray without ceasing because our city needs this church to be revived and on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need that and they need that. How many of you are praying for a truly heaven-sent revival in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in this church. Let me give you number three, leaders. We need leaders. If I brought up staff members in our church from preschool, kids, students, various areas in adult life, and ask them, what do you need in ministry? Here's one of the things they would say, need leaders. They need people who have a passion to step up and serve. Again, there's some qualifications to do that, but we need people who are leaders. We need people who are willing to say yes and volunteer and serve and make a difference. Well, then give me, let me give you one area where I'm praying for that we need leaders, and not just anyone, but somebody who feels called, qualified, ready to serve, and that's among college students. We're a walking distance from a significant mission field one of our state universities. And we need God to raise up some people in our church family and fellowship who would say, I see those individuals, those college students with opportunities literally to change the world for Jesus. And I want to take my life and invest my life in their lives for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. What am I praying for without ceasing? God, raise up some people who desire to be used in collegiate ministry that would make a difference for Jesus Christ and the lives of those students, and you would use those students to make much of your kingdom and to see the gospel advance around the world. What are you praying for without ceasing? Let me give you number four, obedience. 
I pray every week, every Sunday morning for obedience. We sing amazing songs. We share a sermon based upon the word of God. And then we come to give a public invitation, a public appeal. And I pray in that invitation and appeal for obedience. I pray without ceasing for that. Why? I'd love to see someone this morning give his or her life to Jesus Christ. I'd love to see people walk down this aisle today and to say, I know Christ, but I've never biblically been baptized. I want to be obedient to Christ today. I'd love to see people who have been attending First Baptist Church and say, this is a church where God wants me at, to grow and to serve and to be used. I'm joining First Baptist today. God's calling me into Christian ministry or God's convicted me about Christian life issues. I want somebody to come and pray with me and for me. I pray to see obedience in the invitation in our worship gatherings. Not procrastination, not delays, not gripping a pew, not seeing how quick we can get out, but God help us to obey you in this invitation. Pray without ceasing. And then, let me give you one more, just witness, our witness for Christ. When I think about our witness locally and in our state, our nation, and around the world, that we would be faithful witnesses, filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ, and we would be his witnesses wherever we are. As we give to Lottie Moon, as we help in Good Samaritan, as we go to Mexico or Brazil, or we do other mission experiences in our city, state, nation, around the world, that we would be faithful witnesses and the power of the Holy Spirit to do those. What are you praying for without ceasing? Now, I want to give you three practical steps here. How can I pray without ceasing? One, here's how I rejoice always, but how do I pray without ceasing? Let me give you these. Number one, know God. If you're going to pray without ceasing, just know him. I was in conversation with a Christian couple one time. and We were talking about all the people in ministry who had crashed. They made poor decisions. They reaped the consequences of it. By the way, I haven't said this in a while. You reap what you sow. You sow to the sinful nature, you'll reap destruction. You sow to the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. And so as you and I know God, and, and this person, we were talking about it, and the lady, this couple, which I love this couple dearly, she said, I, I just would never want to crash in ministry. And she said, I don't think I will because I have this holy fear of God. That wasn't a negative comment. It was a positive comment because she stood in awe of the greatness of God. So if you're going to pray without ceasing, you need to know who God is. Not from a distance, but intimate with him. Know who God is. How do you know God? Study the word. Number two, be honest. If you're going to pray without ceasing, just be honest in life. Be transparent. Pray and not worry. How many are in this service? How many of you are watching and you're worried about some issue in life? You're worried about your health? You're worried about your career? You're worried about your kids or grandkids? You're worried about your finances? Are you going to be able to go to college? Are you going to be able to pay the house off? Are you going to be able to retire? You're worried about those things? How many people in this service are even worried about your salvation? Do I know Jesus or not in life? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Just be honest. And then number three, pursue discipline. If you're going to 
Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Then you need to pursue discipline. What do I mean by that? You're going to need to spend time in God's Word. You're going to have to bend your knees or your heart in a conversation with God in prayer. But also you need to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And then be willing to gather with other believers and to share your life together. That's what Christian fellowship is about. You pursue those disciplines of the Christian life. If you're going to pray without ceasing, know him, be honest, and pursue those disciplines in your life. Then you can rejoice always. Then you can pray without ceasing. And then number three, learn how to proclaim, not withhold. He says in this last part of this verse, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, help me, allow me to unpack this just for a moment. How in the world then do I give thanks for all circumstances? Now, God, how do I give thanks for cancer? God, how do I give thanks for accidents? How do I give thanks for broken relationships? And how do I give thanks for disappointments in life? And let me give you the word for that. We can't. Because that's not what this verse is teaching. This verse does not say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. Folks, I don't have to give thanks for cancer. I don't have to give thanks for automobile accidents. I don't have to give thanks for broken relationships. I don't have to give thanks for disappointments. I don't have to give thanks for all the tragedies in life. I give thanks in those. And here's why I can give thanks in those. Why? Because of the presence and power of Jesus. The Bible says he'll never leave you and me and forsake me, you and me. As I understand that, when I go through these circumstances, these situations in life, I give thanks in them because I know the Lord is with me and he has power to calm me in the midst of these. I'm not thankful for them, I'm thankful in them. As I think about illustrations of that, think about the life of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was an incredible, credible young man. And as you go back in Daniel chapter 6, I encourage you to read it sometime. Daniel distinguished himself. It says, in this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials. So God's hand was on this young man's life. And then it says, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's going to get Daniel in trouble because of jealousy. But God's hand is on Daniel and others don't like it. So they go to ultimately King Darius and they tell him to put this... Uh, promotion or whatever in place and to say Darius we want you to put this promotion in place that anyone who prays to any God other than you the lion's den's coming their way Daniel gets word of that what does Daniel do in the midst of this same thing chapter 6 verse 10 I encourage you to read it on your own sometime but when Daniel knew that the document had been signed he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and what did he do he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously Daniel knew how to give thanks in all circumstances even facing the lion's den. He still knew how to give thanks in all circumstances. The word of promotion was nobody praised anyone except to you, O king. But here Daniel is doing what? Giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. How can you and I give thanks in all circumstances? I want to give you these five statements. Number one, God loves us. 
I hope you comprehend that. God, Almighty God, loves you and me. I suspect there are people here watching as well that you've had people in your life look you in the eyes and say to you, I no longer love you. And those have to be painful, painful words to hear. And my heart breaks for people who have heard those words from other people. Well, the good news is you'll never hear those words from Almighty God. He's never going to say to you, I no longer love you and I'm walking out of your life. He'll never, never do that. Why? Because the love of God is unconditional. The love of God is unfailing and the love of God is never ending. God loves you and me. So how can you give thanks in all circumstances? You can do so because God loves you and he loves me. Number two, God grows us. As you and I think about the Christian life, God grows you and me. Oftentimes he'll use storms to do that. The Sea of Galilee one day, Jesus in the boat with his disciples, storm raging. They thought they were going to drown and die. But the Lord used that storm in their lives. He'll also allow storms into your life and my life. Why does he do that? I can always come back to two things. God will allow storms in our lives sometimes to get our attention. We're not listening in other ways, so he sends a storm into our lives to get our attention so that we will focus on him. But oftentimes it's to mature us. We need to grow in life, and he will use a storm to mature you and me. Some of the greatest periods of spiritual growth in life are when, not when it's calm, but when it's storms are raging. He grows us. Number three, God protects us. As you and I think about this verse, give thanks in all circumstances, in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There are times when you're going to pray about something and God says no. There are other times you're going to pray about something and God says wait. And so when he says no or he says wait, he's protecting you. If God closes the door in your life, he's protecting you. I was interviewing with a church one time to become their pastor. The door was wide open from their perspective for us to come And as I met with the staff and walked through that, I just sensed God did not want us to do that. And again, it wasn't an audible thing. I just sensed from the Holy Spirit saying to me, if you walk through that door at this stage, it is not going to end well. And I said to the committee, I said, in obedience to Jesus, we cannot walk through that door. We have to say no. And we did. Now when I look at that, was was God punishing us? I don't think for a minute God was punishing us. I can look back today and say God was protecting us. How can I give thanks in all circumstances? Because God protects us. Number four, God uses us. When you look at your life and you give thanks in all circumstances, here's what I know. Other people are watching your life. When you hear the word cancer, other people are watching you. When you get passed over for the promotion, other people are watching you. When you walk through the tragic death of a loved one, other people are watching you. When you deal with a family issue that's significant head-on, other people are watching you. You can give thanks in all circumstances because God is using you. Number five, God blesses us. Oftentimes we talk in the negative about things, but sometimes it's in the positive. 
you look and you pray about something, you give thanks in all circumstances, God does give you the job. He gives you the house. He gives you the raise. The marriage proposal does come your way. All these great things happen in your life, but the question, did you give thanks to God for those? And so I just challenge you, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in all circumstances give thanks to God because this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you and for me. Two stories. One happened in Russia. We had done a number of mission trips to Russia. And the Russian people were so gracious and so generous to us. And we would go into Russian apartments, flats as they would call them, and they would want to have a meal with us. And so we would go in and have a meal with them. And one of the things I noticed, Russians oftentimes didn't make a lot of money. And I would even driving down the road see some Russian people sitting on the side of the road. For example, I saw a lady and a, even a man one day selling a roll of plastic on the side of the road. And so I asked our driver, I said, what in the world are they doing? And, and the driver said, well, they work at a plastic factory and they don't have money to pay them, so as a pay, then they give them a roll of plastic and they sit on the side of the road trying to sell it to make a living. How many of us would get excited about that? But then we would go into their flat, not making a lot of money, consider what we would make, and they would put out this lavish meal for us. And when you, in Russia, you pray before the meal and after the meal. And I sat there at the table almost speechless because I thought, God, these people have sacrificial spirits toward us. And Lord, these people have very, very thankful attitudes. They sacrificed a lot for us to have a meal with them. They understood how to give thanks in all circumstances. What about you and me? I was preaching one one series of days in the northern part of Kenya, Africa. I had an amazing time out there, almost like the Acts 2 church. I'm in the northern part of Kenya preaching the gospel in the mornings, in the afternoons, and in evenings. I'm meeting with a church. We're not meeting in an elaborate building like this. We're meeting in a, in a thatched roof kind of place, dirt floors, hard seats. But as I'm worshiping with this church and getting to know them, having a great time with them, they're listening to the gospel and responding to God's word. The only musical instruments they had in worship were drums. That was it. And they knew how to play the drums as well. And I remember being there with them and realizing they're worshiping the Lord Jesus in spirit and truth, there's no doubt. And so I said to him one day, I said, hey, I played the drums with you one day, if that's okay. And so they gave me one of their drums, and so I started playing the drums with them, and they thought that was the grandest thing in the world. And so I'm having a great time by no means at their level. Sure did not have the dance down like they did for sure. And so we're out there playing, having a great time, worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. My days were coming to an end with them. I was getting ready to leave, and they had gathered the church together, and they said, Pastor, we want to give you a gift. And I said, oh, no, I didn't come here to get any gift. I don't, you, you guys have been such a blessing to me. I don't need anything else. And they said, no, we want to give you a gift. And I said, please do not do that. And then here's what they said. We want to give you our drums. I said, but that's all you've got. I mean, you don't have any other instruments. You have two drums and a stick, and that's all you've got. And here's the stick. And they said, well... We want to thank God for your ministry. 
We want to show kindness to you. And then here's what they said. The Lord told us to give these to you. I was overwhelmed. And they said, we'll make new ones. You take what we've got. And they gave me their two drums and their stick. I don't know what all the Lord used me to teach those people out in the bush area of Africa. But here's what I walked away with. One sentence. Here it is. Thankful people are generous people. Those people didn't have much by the world standards. But they were thankful people. They knew how to rejoice always. They knew how to pray without ceasing. And they knew how to give thanks in all circumstances because they knew that was the will of God for them in Christ Jesus. Thankful people are generous people. And so those drums stay in our house. And I just think about the generosity of God's people and how thankful they were. Let's bow together as we pray. Now I want to encourage you in the room and those who are watching. I want to plead with you and make an appeal to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, surrender your life to him right now. From your heart to God's heart, just cry out to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you for giving your life, shedding your blood. Jesus, I've sinned against you. I disobeyed you. And Jesus, I need to be forgiven, so I receive you as my Savior, my Lord. I turn from my sin, put my trust in you. Right now, give your life to Christ. I want to encourage you as well, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's been just a few minutes, few hours, days, weeks, months, or even years, but you've never taken that step of believer's baptism, biblical baptism, I want to encourage you this morning. I appeal to you. I challenge you to step out and walk down one of these aisles here today and to say, I want to be obedient to Christ as a believer in him and be baptized. If you're watching, you can communicate with us on any of those platforms about salvation, baptism, next church membership. There are people in this room. You've been coming for a long time. I just want to encourage you, a hard assignment. Obey the will of God. And today I encourage you, step out. Walk down one of these aisles. Our pastoral team is going to be here. And to say, today's the day. I want to join the fellowship of this great church. Be a part of what God's doing here. You can respond to us online as well. There's an email address there. You can respond on the platform. Christian life issues, Christian ministry issues. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I just plead with you today to say yes to Jesus and obey his leadership. That is the will of God for you in Christ. Now, Father... As we pray today, oh, come all you faithful. I pray today we will see people walking down these aisles, coming to our prayer team, our pastoral staff, praying, making decisions, being obedient to you, finding your will and living in the center of it. But Lord Jesus, what a glorious day it be to see people saved, follow you in obedience and baptism, joining the fellowship of the church and being obedient to you in the Christian life. So Lord Jesus, move in our midst, we pray. And we anticipate and expect your folks, 
others who need to know you, to obey you, either in this room or online. And we will say thank you, Lord Jesus, for your move in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Oh, come all you faithful. Our pastoral team, our prayer teams are here. You come this morning as we stand together and sing.